You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church and Pleasant Green Road. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Man, that is good stuff, isn't it? To talk about God on his throne and and all that he's about and, and him being worthy of our worship. That's an amazing thought when you think about it. And it's if you listen to that song very closely, you, you see this picture from Isaiah 6 come into your mind. I don't know if you remember it, but Isaiah comes before the throne of God and the train of God fills the whole temple, smoke, the whole bit. And Isaiah, in his response to the Lord, says, I am a man of unclean lips. And, and feels the, the weight of his sin at that particular point coming before a holy God. We behold God in all of his righteousness and holiness, and we can do nothing but bow down and say, God, here I am, unclean, unfinished, unholy, and, and not worthy to come into your presence. And then we see what happens in Isaiah's life as, as the coal is touched on his lips. And, he, and there's a cleansing that takes place. And out of that, Isaiah comes to the realization that God is calling him. And, and the Lord says, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. And what an incredible picture. What an incredible response to a holy God when we say, behold our God. Really, behold him? Are you ready for that? If God were to fill this place with his holiness, with that bigness, what would you do? Would you sit there and say, here I am, bless me? Or would you just fall and say, God, I don't even know what to do next. I don't even know what my next step would be except for to bow down and just fall at your feet. We've got to do something in response to God. I don't know about you, but I am, um, I'm kind of a list maker. You already know that a little bit. and um, I do to-do lists. It's the OCD part of me. I've got the Evernote app, and, and when I do a, a grocery list. Deb's, Deb's got a task for me. I said, what am I supposed to get? And, I, and I, either, I do one of two things. I'll write it on index card, and I'm the kind of guy that puts little boxes to the left of it so that I can check inside the box. So, I've, I've, that's, that's part of me. Or I'll go to Evernote, and I'll make the list there, and it too has little check boxes so that I can hit it on my phone. I'll do it on the computer, sink it to my phone, get to the grocery store, look into my phone and go, got it, got it. And if I forget something, I'm in big trouble because I've got it right in front of me. Well, my daughter, long time, several years ago when she was obviously smaller, made this for me and, and it's, a, um, it's a chalkboard. And I'm pretty sure she made it at church, um, but it's a Father's Day chalkboard. And, um, and it says, um, I... Actually, he says, I, I, I love you, Dad, 
And happy Father's Day, and it has to-do notes. And so she's given me a chance to keep up with myself. Uh, that was the idea. It was a, it was a to-do list that I was supposed to um, take care of, and she wanted to make sure that it, it fit who I was as a dad. And so she gave me that. And when we respond to God, when we get in the presence of God and we look at His Word, there should be a to-do list that comes as a part of that. You shouldn't, shouldn't really approach God's Word and, and end up finishing reading God's Word and not have something to do out of it. It's the application of God's Word in our life. Jonah was one of those guys, as we continue this series, Jonah was one of those guys that was kind of given that to-do list, little checkbox said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to proclaim against it, because their wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah says, I don't like your to-do list, God. Therefore, we're going to just, we're going to close the app. We're going to, we're going to hide the note, put the note in the back pocket, wherever it goes. And, and I, you know, if he, if he put it in his back pocket, he got wet. So he, he has this to-do list, and he says, I'm not going to do that. And so he tries to run from God, and as he's running from God, they figure, the, the people on the boat figure it out. They end up throwing him overboard, calms the seas. He gets swallowed by a big fish and spends some time alone with God in the belly of a fish. You may think that's crazy, but I think it's great staging. And what better alone place can there be but the belly of a fish? It is pretty safe. You know, treading water, you can, your mind goes all over the place. You get in the belly of a fish, there's one thing to do. Pray. And so he spends time alone with God in prayer. And he says, God, I recognize your mercy, and I come before your, your presence, and I want to recognize what you've done in my life and what you're calling me to do, and I will submit to you. And so he kind of has this come-to-Jesus moment in the belly of this fish, and on the back end of that, he is reinvigorated for doing what God wants him to do. So we get to chapter 3, and from chapter 1 and 2, we've learned a couple of things. We've learned that, that God has a message for the Ninevites, but he also has a message that we are challenged and commissioned to carry out, that we are mercy carriers, if you will. And so that's part of our job. And part of that, that mercy carrying peace comes as we take on the heart of God and understand the passion of God to reach those around us. That was what Jonah was running from. And he was running from the idea that I don't even like these people. And you may be in that same spot. You say, I don't even want to talk to them. And I've told you before, I go to Walmart and I put on the hat. I don't put on a fake beard or anything like that. But, but there are times when I don't want to talk to anybody. And sometimes we're in that mode. But we have the responsibility to be mercy carriers wherever we go. We have the opportunity to be mercy carriers. And so the question comes up, how should I respond to God? In all of His holiness, as I behold Him, how should I respond? And so would you turn to Jonah chapter 3, and we'll start at verse 1. And if you would stand, we'll go through this. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. 
saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. This is a great piece right here. First three words. So Jonah arose. He did what he was supposed to do. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. And he issued a proclamation. And it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. And when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. What an incredible passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, as you challenge us to respond to who you are, Father, I pray that you would help us to be discerning. God, that you would open our eyes, but also open our hearts and soften our hearts for what you have for us, that we may respond to you appropriately. Father, for those of us that have a relationship with Christ, God, you call us to be mercy carriers. For those that may not have a relationship with Christ and just struggle and say, I don't even know God. I've got all these questions, but I don't even know him. God, I pray that you would, by your spirit, draw them to yourself. That they may not just receive mercy, but receive grace. That that amazing grace that we sung about, would, would so be part of their life that they'd be able to exclaim the joy that comes through Christ, that abundant joy, that abundant life. And so, Father, I pray that you would work in this place today to your honor, for your glory, that you would be exalted and do as your word says. Father, we pray these things in the strong name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So Jonah 3 is a, is a great passage because there, there are some things that happen in Jonah 3 that are just crazy. Jonah, at the end of chapter 2, and you've got to read this like a story, so forget the chapter marks. Just know at the end of chapter 2, Jonah gets spit up on the beach. Now, there's another word that's used there, but we'll, just, we'll skip it for this morning. But he gets put on the beach. And it was the fish that was assigned to Jonah, which is... And interesting, we talk about angels and all that kind of stuff. Get a fish assigned to you. That, may, that makes for an interesting day. So he gets this fish assigned to him. He gets spit out on the beach and then has to walk away. And then we get to chapter 3 and it says 
that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It really doesn't give us much in chapter 2 about God speaking to Jonah, but in chapter 3, we start off with that. A word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So, so God has not completely removed himself from the situation, but is speaking to Jonah and saying, Jonah, I want you to arise and go to Nineveh. Let's give this another shot. Uh, how many of you have had kids and, and you've told them something and then you've had to tell them again? It happens, doesn't it? Because the natural thing is, I'm going to go a different way. So I, I've done it. My kids have done it. I assume that my kids' kids will do it when they come around. It's, it was for Jonah, it was to get away from God. And, and then it, the word comes to him a second time. It says, go to Nineveh and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So he gives them the word to go to Nineveh. And then in verse 3, it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh was a great and exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Well, the first thing I want us to see is that Jonah exhibited an immediate obedience. He exhibited an immediate obedience. It wasn't one of those, wait a second, let me just put this this to-do list in my back pocket and let me think about it a little bit. In fact, God, let me pray about it a little bit to see if that's what you really want. Have you ever been in that spot where God, God says, I would like you to talk to this person. You say, well, God, just wait a second. Let me pray. Let me see if that's what you really want. I'm going to tell you, and, and there was an article that was posted on our Facebook page by Batter, Mark Batterson. And the article said, stop praying. And it was one of those titles where, as I, as I looked at the title, I went, what are you saying, dude? But he's one, it's one of those things where you've got God's word and you don't have to pray whether to do it or not. If you're asking God, should I share my faith? You don't have to pray about whether you should. The word of God is really, really clear. Share it. If, if there, and there are some other things in Scripture that God's word is lined it out. You don't have to pray whether to do it or not to do it. There's some things it says don't do, and you don't have to pray about that either. Follow God's word. Be consistent with God's word. So Jonah exhibited an immediate obedience to God, and there was no question about this God that he was responding to. No question about God's power. None at all. Now, prior to getting in the boat, getting thrown overboard, getting swallowed by a fish, getting spit up on the shore, Jonah could have had some questions about the power of God. Could have. I mean, he understood intellectually, if you remember back to chapter 1, he understood God is the God of creation. He created all this. He created the sea and the land and all that is in it, and he has control of it. Jonah understood that here. But... As we get to the end of chapter 1 going into chapter 2 and he gets thrown overboard and the seas calm down and all that and then he gets swallowed by the fish and then spit out on the shore, Jonah understands experientially that God is in control and that God is powerful. There is a difference in in Jonah's life between chapter 1 and chapter 3. It was an experiential faith, and empir- he had empirical evidence, not theoretical evidence, that, that God was a God of might and power. So there's no question about 
God's power. There was also no question about God's mission. It was pretty clear too. Direct instruction, go to Nineveh. Very simple. Get up and go. And so Jonah arose and went. And his job was to share. And it's a great, um, his message is one of the simpler messages we find in Scripture. It's real simple. Jonah began to walk through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, You have 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. It's kind of like, I'm not going to do it because Wayne would freak out and, and Dennis and everybody else involved in sound would freak out. But it's like Jonah walks through the city and he's got a mic. He said, 40 days, Nineveh's going to be overthrown. Pow, mic drop, out of here. That's what he does. And so Jonah proclaims this very simple message. He goes with a message that Nineveh is in trouble and it's to expose their wickedness. And then what are they going to do in response to that? This is what God says. Now what are you going to do with it? And so Jonah proclaims that. And so I would ask you, what is our mission as a church? What are we supposed to be doing? Has God not called us to go, charged us to go? Has God called us and charged us to come and sit? Oh, we're supposed to gather. Hebrews eleven twenty four says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. So there's a part of us that's supposed to gather. There's this part of, of Christian life, a part of following God that says, you ought to come together and worship and, and celebrate and have all things in common, kind of an Acts 42, 42 through 47 kind of life. But it doesn't end there because it says in that passage, as they gathered, God kept adding to their number. Because they were doing church. Not just there, but they were doing church there. They were doing church out there. And so we've been charged and called to do church out there. So we could be like Jonah. We could have an immediate obedience to God. And, and here's, here's a way to look at it. If God calls me to do something, will I say yes? That's one way to look at it. Say, God, I'm waiting on you to tell me something, and when you say something, then I will say yes. That is a way to do it. But probably the better way is say, God, I say yes before you ever ask. I'll tell you yes before you give me what I'm supposed to do. It's much like the faith that Abraham had to express when he left his home country and God says, I want you to leave and I'll show you where to go. Just go. And so we become a people of yes first and then wherever God wants us to go, we go. We have an opportunity here shortly to be part of what's called be the church. And it's be the church is just a phrase, but because it's what we're really supposed to do all the time is be the church. But we're going to get to do it on Wednesday nights starting in August. Here's a list of the things. Look at them real quick. Water distribution, grocery store help, gas stations, wash windows, uh, meals to emergency workers, some yard work, home visits, and some working on some school grounds. Does that sound very complicated? Does it sound hard? No, it's, it's pretty easy. 
And there's not a list of things. If you look at that, there's not a list of things under that that says the qualifications for, for doing this on a Wednesday night in August or at any time, really, the qualifications for this are you must have 17,000 verses memorized or you must have your act together or you've got to have all the right answers. You've got to do a Ravi Zacharias apologetic before you get there. It's not there. Here's a bottle of water, dude. Hey, stay cool. Good to see you. Why are you doing that? I'm doing it because we're going out as a church, just trying to be the church, and want to bring some, obviously, some water relief to you. If you have any questions about the church, I'd be glad to answer it. And I'll leave it alone. It's not going to be, it's not real hard. But we have to have immediate obedience. We have to say yes before anything ever happens. So whether it's this or something else, whether it's these Wednesday nights or something on a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Friday, I would say have immediate I'll get it out. Immediate obedience. Say yes before God ever asks you. The second part of this in this passage is the Ninevites demonstrated an immediate understanding. This message, you have 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, is not the, let me sit down with you and share Romans Road with you. It's not that long. In fact, it's a really short message. Why is that such a good message for the Ninevites? It's pretty simple. It was on a time frame. So the first thing is, it, it came with a time frame. 40 days and you will be overthrown. There's a limit. For those that are contemplating accepting Christ, know that there is a limit. Jesus is coming back, and whether he comes back first or you die, there is a limit. So you only have that chance. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. So that would be one part of that. The second part of that message, Nineveh will be overthrown, is a cultural message. Remember, the Ninevites were a wicked people. They were violent. They went after folks with all that they were in, the, in order to overthrow them. So when, when Jonah goes in and says, 40 days and you will be overthrown, it was a message that resonated with the people of Nineveh. They said, oh, we understand what that is, and we want no part of that. And so he shares with them, 40 days you will be overthrown. It was culturally relevant. For them, it was common vernacular for them. It was, it was, they were words that they understood. And we do the same thing. We take things that would be understood in one segment of society and we change the word so that it applies to another segment of society. We may move some words around or change the phrasing of it. There are phrases that you use when you go to Canada, like, like phrases at the end of every sentence. You say, eh? There are phrases that are culturally relevant. You go to church, eh? You know, you throw that in. And, and there are things like that all over the place. That's probably not a good way to approach Canada, by the way. But we take things and we make them culturally relevant for the people that we're talking to. 
They tried to do that with Scripture as well. I want to I look through some historical stuff, so if you'll bear with me for a minute. Um, Wycliffe, it says, and this is 1384, Wycliffe sought to call people back to biblical Christianity, 1384, because he believed that people needed the Bible in their own language for a revival to take place. It's pretty good. And then Martin Luther said, my wish to God is that this book were in every language and in every home. That was 1534. And then in 1529, which a little bit backwards, Tyndale used the original Greek and Hebrew and printed his work on the Gutenberg Press, and he was called the father of the English Bible, and you understand that he was burned at the stake because he sought to put it in English. And then we get to... 1611. Those of you that have um, King James Bible 1611, it was a response to what was going on between the church and the state. And so there was an authorized version. And we've taken it from there, and there are, there are tons of different ones. And, and we keep finding things in, that help us with translations and stuff. But the, the key, the, the big deal is not which version you want to look at. Which one you want to hold to? The question is, is it consistent all the way through? Is it God's word that's been preserved? And then is it culturally relevant? Does it speak to the culture? So I, I would ask you, you may go, I disagree with you. It's okay. I order things at Walmart without these and thous. I didn't grow up with it. So I don't read it the same way some of you that grew up with it read it. I have a hard time understanding it in those terms. But I want to tell you, God's Word in New American Standard speaks to me. Holman Christian Standard, it'll speak to me. King James, it'll still speak no problem with that. I wish I could read the Greek and the Hebrew, but I'm not going through all that work. It's just a lot. Understand our God is big and big enough to preserve his word and the truth of his word. And although the message, the message must stay the same as we seek to take the gospel that we find in scripture take it out in a culturally relevant way. Don't miss what we need to do. I want to show you, well, now we'll get to that in a minute. Second part of this is we go with it with purpose and we answer the why questions. And so we want to, we want to do that as well. There, there are lots of reasons that people get involved in, in following a movement. So common vernacular, but also in purpose in that people gravitate toward things that mean something. Uh, how many times have you seen the commercials to take care of wounded animals and abandoned animals and, and abused animals? You've seen those. You've seen the commercials about children that have been abandoned and left alone and, and need help and need sponsorship. Compassion International World Vision and all these places. And then you've got Tom's Shoes that buy a pair of shoes, give a pair of shoes. 
and then clean water initiatives all over the place. World Help does it, and other, uh, other ministries do it. We, want to gra- we gravitate toward those things because we think they accomplish what we have in mind, and we want our lives to have meaning and purpose. And so not only do we have to be culturally relevant, we have to understand that there's a purpose. We desire those things. There's a reason we desire those. And it can't just be those things. It's the presentation of the gospel. The second part of this is not only is it culturally relevant, but it has to be personally compelling. What drives us? What pushes us to do these things? Why do we get involved? See, no one can create a soft heart in you apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. So, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be involved? What is my why? Why do I exist? Why do I follow you? And then how do I make that happen? How do I do what you've called me to do? We have an individual responsibility to carry the gospel to a people that do not know Jesus Christ. Can't forfeit that. We don't want to push it off on the generation that follows us. We've got a responsibility to do what God's asked us to do. And so the gospel is not only personal to us, but we want to say it's relevant to you. And so the gospel is personal at salvation, but it's also personal at the point of right now, our life right now. Let me show you how this works. I had this, I had this up here, and I promised I wasn't going to sit in it. And I won't. But I want to show you some things. Ed and Joy probably thought I was moving or taking a trip but neither. I brought some things this morning because I want to show you how this works. If the gospel is true for me, and, it's tr- and if it's true for you, and we have the responsibility to go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can have conversations with people that will lead to a place where I can share Christ. And it doesn't take a rocket science to get there, rocket scientists to get there. I've already told you that I'm a little on the OCD side. So those of you with OCD tendencies, I can relate to you. And so we can talk about checklists. But there are some other things. We can talk about family. You got family, right? You were born into a family. Pretty sure all of you in here were. It may not be great. It may be wonderful. But you could talk about family. There's some other things you can talk about. I've heard some of you talk about health. We'll just, yeah, we're not going to take that at the end of service. But, but some of you could talk about health because you may have some health issues or, or things. And, and you can go alongside somebody at a hospital or at a doctor's office and say, man, what you dealing with? How can I pray for you? What's going on in your life that, that God, may, God may speak to? So health is another thing. And then some of you, I know a few of you, like this kind of stuff, like to beat on things. Now, this can be used for two things. It can be used for construction. It can, be also, it can also be used for computers. I have it in my office for both. 
And so that's another area. Because some of you will talk about with, with somebody else. You say, hey, I love working in my shop outside in the, in the backyard. I had a friend of mine that he would get frustrated, and he'd talk about making sawdust. That's what he did. And he could carry on a conversation about woodworking because that was part of his life. That was one of his hobbies. Some of you, I know, do some of this. Do a little bit of golfing. That cart is too small for me. So are the clubs. But some of you like to do that, and so having a conversation around that is, would be easy. We're going to get together. We're going to talk about golf, and in that, we're going to talk about missing the mark. Because I hunt and I fish when I go golfing. It's part of the game. So I can talk about hunting, fishing, golfing, missing the mark, trying too hard, all those things. And then this, we're going to toss this out, some paddle ball stuff. Some of you have tried that. I would, I would um, venture to say that if you try that, don't do it on a really, really windy day or at least be upwind, okay? Because if you're downwind, you're chasing a lot just telling you that. Um, but some of you have been on vacation or are going on vacation. And so can you talk about vacation with those that, you, that you're around? Hey, you guys going on a vacation this week or this month or this summer? Where are you going? And just talk about life. Sharing the gospel and making it culturally relevant does not mean that you have to venture outside of your life and you go, I'm doing life, and, and then I have this box over here that is the gospel that I need to share with somebody, and it has no connection to what I do on a daily basis. It's got to have all the connection that you do on a daily basis, whether it's shopping or vacation or, or health or carpentry or family or anything else. These all fit together. It's like a big puzzle. And having the responsibility of, as you go, sharing the gospel means that you take all these pieces and you say, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. You take a culturally relevant message of the gospel to somebody and say, I know how God can work in your life because he's worked in mine. And he's made a difference in mine. And God's put in me a heart to share the gospel with people to invite them to church, to invite them to a small group, to a connect group, to a Sunday school class, to student ministry or preschool ministry or children's ministry. You've got a great voice. We'd love to have you in our choir, but let me talk to you about what they do. They lead worship. And they lead worship because they have a relationship with God that they want to share with a group of people that sit here on Sunday morning. And we'd love to have your voice, but I want to ask you about your relationship with God. God puts you in a place where he can use that talent that he's given you. There are lots of ways to make it culturally relevant. And then when that happens, there's an overwhelming response that takes place. The Ninevites responded to that message because they understood it. And then the king heard about it and he declared some things. And everybody was in mourning and praying. And, and look what it says. It says, who knows, God may turn and relent, withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. That every one of them was supposed to call on God earnestly to really push, 
saying, God, would you stop this? 40 days. Maybe God will do it. It's interesting the way it puts it in this passage in verse 3, because there is no guarantee of God's mercy to the people of Nineveh in this. All they do is they pray. All they do, they respond to God in the only way they know how. God, stop. Please stop. Please don't do this. God's mercy. God relented on it. Verse 10 says, when God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not. Did God change his mind about the wickedness of Nineveh? No. Did he change his mind about his holiness? Absolutely not. Did God change at all? It says God doesn't change, right? God was the same then as he is today, as he will be tomorrow. God is consistent. But God did not bring calamity toward them. He did not do it. He extended his mercy and bestowed his grace on a people that didn't deserve it. Man, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? That God extended his mercy and bestowed his grace on us. He extended his mercy and bestowed his grace on Jonah. Because Jonah was obedient, the people heard a message and responded and received the offering that God was inviting them to partake in. Will we be the people of God that takes the message of mercy and grace to those around us, to those that need to hear, to those that may be sitting next to us, whether it's at the dinner table at church or at some restaurant somewhere. Will we be that kind of people? So let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand that Jesus gave his life for you and for me? That he went to the cross and intentionally shed his blood on our behalf so that we could have life. And what does God ask in return? As he offers this forgiveness to us, this what we don't deserve piece of this, what does he ask us to do? Accept him, receive forgiveness, to turn from our sin and give him our life. That's what he asks. And so I would ask you, you understand the gospel, and then how will you respond to the gospel? How will you come face to face with that? There is a difference between a command and an invitation. You recognize that, right? God invites us to be part of his family. A command would say that you are going to be part of my family, or you're not going to be part of my family, and you have no choice. And that's not really, it's not a great expression of love. 
even though it may be the very best thing for us. But God invites us to be part of his family and says, I'm asking you, I'm asking you to come be part of the family. I'm asking you to take my word to others. I'm asking you to to go in my name and be ambassadors for Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5 says. I'm asking you to do that. The invitation is there. So the question comes back to, if God is on his throne and the room is filled with smoke and the train of his garment, and we're face to face with the Holy God, How will we respond? What will we do? What will be our next move? And so for those of you that have never accepted Christ, I would love to extend God's invitation. It's not my invitation. It's not Curry's invitation. Scott, if he were here, wouldn't be his. It's not Wayne's. It's God's invitation to come to know him. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to ask that you would walk down front. I know it takes courage to do that. Don't get me wrong. And some of you may go, I hate crowds. I don't want to be singled out. I don't want to be called out. I don't want to be in front of a group of people. This is short. But it's the most important decision you could ever make in your life. So if you don't know him, let me get real blunt. Have guts for two minutes. And say, God, I give you my life. Second part of that is, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, say, I need to get on board. I need to get active with sharing the gospel. I need to get active in ministering to others. I would ask you to fill in that blank. You have it in your bulletin. I need to. It's there. Fill it in. person next to you doesn't necessarily need to see it, but fill it in. And part of that may be that you just need to come to the front and pray, God, I need to, and you fill in that blank and you do it here before a holy God instead of back at your seat. It's easy to hide in your seat. It's harder to come to the front. But I would say do the hard stuff and nail down that spot that says on that day I committed to do this because I said yes in advance to whatever God asked me to do. So, so church, people, unpack this. And then let God repack it and go. Be the people of God that he's called us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the testimony of John. Thank you for his obedience this point in the story, we recognize that he was immediately obedient to you and cried out, and it changed people's lives. And so, Father, help us to be the people that say yes. God, also help us to be, um, if we've never come to a relationship with you, God, help us to respond to that by your Holy Spirit, that as we are convicted of the sin that separates us from you, God, that we would say, yes, I want, to, I want to get freedom from that, forgiveness from that sin, and I want to trust you with my life. 
And so, God, I pray that you would work grace on us, that you would pour it on us as an anointing, a refreshing, a healing oil, that we would understand who you are and then be willing to take that out to a world that needs to see you and know you. And so, God, work in us, work in our hearts, work in our minds, that we'd be the people of God you've called us to be. And, God, we pray these things in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.